Last week as we began to examine these precious words given to us in Luke chapter 10, where we see Jesus sending out more disciples to carry the good news of his saving grace, we noted that they're stepping on forth into those towns and villages to give his gospel would not be without difficulty. That's the way of mission work. It is not without difficulty. These missionaries that he was sending out were venturing out as lambs, he tells them, as lambs onto a battlefield of ravenous wolves and that there would surely be suffering along the way. Now today, I'd like for us to consider why the going forth of these disciples is so, so vitally important to the souls of those that these missionaries would encounter. So join with me, if you will, as I read these words from Luke chapter 10, beginning in verse 1. Verse 1 of Luke chapter 10. After these things, the Lord appointed 70 others also and sent them two by two before his face into every city and place where he himself was about to go. Then he said to them, the harvest truly is great, but the laborers are so few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I send you out as lambs among wolves. Carry neither money bag, knapsack, nor sandal, and greet no one along the road. But whatever house you enter, first say peace to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest on it. If it is not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking such things as they give. For the laborer is worthy of his wages. Do not go from house to house, whatever city you enter, and they receive you, eat such things as they set before you, and heal the sick there, and say to them, The kingdom of God has come near to you. But whatever city you enter, and they do not receive you, go out into the streets and say, The very dust of your city which clings to us, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near to you. I say to you that it will be more tolerable in that day for Sodom than for that city. As Jesus and his disciples moved closer to Jerusalem, he knew that his time on this earth was drawing to a close. That soon he would be betrayed into the hands of evil men and then be crucified. And he knew that as the time of his departure was drawing near, he would need to begin to pass the responsibilities of preaching this precious gospel of his and of carrying forward the kingdom of God onto his disciples. His disciples would now need to take up that banner. That was really his intention, folks, from the very beginning, to come and walk among men, to show them the very face and the nature of God the Father, and then to die on the cross, redeeming men's souls and reconciling them to the Father. Jesus knew well that his divine work of redemption through his death there on the cross was not intended to end there on that cross. And too often we let our minds end his redemption there on the cross, but it had to go on forward. From eternity past, the cross was only intended to be the beginning. And that's so in your life. 
That's in my life. The cross is only the beginning. God's plan and his work would need to be carried on forward into all future generations, bringing many, many sons to glory. But to do that, other people would need to pick up the banner and carry it forward. Others like the disciples, first the 12 and now these 70. And then folks, many, many more, you and me, you and me, including you and me. And so that becomes our calling, yours and mine. As we receive Christ as our Savior, we are to immediately join in with Him in His plans and His purposes. We become His ambassadors, reconciling lost souls to Him. Listen to those words that He gives to us, that command in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Beginning in verse 18, He tells us, Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to Himself, through Jesus Christ, and has given us, given you and me, the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Folks, this is a plan. This is the plan of God to reconcile sinful men and women, you and me, and all the other people of the earth unto himself. First, through the death of Christ there on the cross, and then through you and me going out, as ambassadors, pleading. He uses that word here, pleading with men and women to be reconciled to God because eternity is real and you and I are going to spend eternity in one place or another, either in heaven with Him or in the pit of hell. And it's all real. That's the plan that we see now unfolding here as Jesus set forth these 70 disciples. They were to go out ahead of him into the towns and into the villages and do as John the Baptist did. They were to prepare ye the way of the Lord. That was John the Baptist's whole calling, to prepare ye the way of the Lord. And note these words carefully. This message that's being carried by the disciples was never intended, listen, it was never intended to have its own power or strength or effectiveness. Their message, these 70 disciples, their message was ever and always intended to be as a precursor to the advent of Jesus. They were to give forth his truth to the people to prepare the way for his coming to them because he was going to do that over the next few weeks. Verse 1, after these things, the Lord appointed 70 others, sent them two by two before his face into every city and place where he himself was about to go. He sent them into the towns and villages that he would be visiting on his way to Jerusalem. Their work and their message then and your and my work and our message now must never be intended for any other purpose except to go ahead of Jesus and to prepare the way for his coming to them to personally minister to their souls. The disciples were to give the people words of reconciliation. Reconciliation that would prepare their hearts to receive Jesus when he did visit with them. But what were those words? What were those words of reconciliation? What would be your words of reconciliation 
to give to people. How does a person prepare ye the way of the Lord? The words of John the Baptist, folks, are our guide. The message to the people was that they were wretched sinners. That was John the Baptist's message to the people. Before Jesus came to them, he was telling them that they were wretched sinners. They were in need of a Savior. That they could not save themselves. They could not of themselves atone for their sins. That they would need a special Savior to do that for them. Folks, that's one of the problems so many of us have. We think that we can save ourselves. We don't say that in so many words, but we think, well, we'll just be as good as we can be. We'll save ourselves. But that can't happen. We need a Savior to do that for us. And that Savior is Jesus Christ alone. They needed to know that they needed to repent of their sins. That's our message. You're a wretched sinner in need of a Savior and you need to repent of your sins and receive Christ as your Savior and Lord. That's the point of reconciliation, folks. Sin is the one thing that separates us from a relationship with God. It does that before we're saved, but it'll also do that if we allow sin to enter in to our daily life. Sin is the one thing that separates us from a relationship with God. And you and I truly are sinners. Do you believe that? You and I truly are sinners. We are desperate sinners. We're lost and blind and in need of someone who's pure and holy to stand in our place, to atone for our wretched sins. Else, listen, if we personally were to have to pay our own debt, do you know what that requires? It requires an eternity in hell because our sin is that sinful. We can never pay our own debt for sin. That's why we need a Savior. But what does it mean to be reconciled? What does it mean to be reconciled? That was a familiar word to me back when I was a banker. And my best understanding comes from those years as a banker. A customer would suddenly find that their bank account was overdrawn and checks were being returned for non-sufficient funds, and their creditors were upset, calling them on the phone. Their reputation was being ruined, and there were these big charges that were being levied against their account. And so they would hurry to our bank to find out what was causing this disaster. And as with most of us, we almost always at first believe that it's someone else who has made an error, that the bank has made an error. And they would demand that we fix our error. And yes, there were occasions, not very many, but there were times when the bank would have made an error. But almost without fail, almost in every situation, the error was on the part of the customer. Some addition or subtraction error or some other kind of forgetful mistake. But once the customer was convinced that the error was theirs, they could then begin to start to sort out the right solutions to solve their dilemma. Now, I want you to catch this analogy, folks. They needed to first understand that it was a problem on their part that was causing their dilemma. And unfortunately, there's always consequences for errors that uh, are made. With this bank customer, we're 
speaking of. Yes, there would be bank fees for handling those return checks and, and their reputations would be damaged. And folks in a small town like we have here, that can be more difficult than we want it to be when our reputation gets solid by checks bouncing. But of more concern than all of those consequences is the fact that the account is severely lacking in the funds that it needs to pay all those checks that are outstanding against it. Are you getting the analogy? The sudden realization is often the first step of reconciliation. To know that you have a debt that you have no means of repaying. No means of repaying. And then to begin to take serious account of your circumstances. What do I do? What do I do? With the bank customer, it's a matter of first finding a right source for the monies to get the immediate problem solved. But then it's also probably prudent to look deeper and see if there are any other causes of those debt problems. Perhaps a much more disciplined manner of lifestyle will need to be adopted. And all of that, folks, is so with you and me and our own problems of our debts with sin. Debts of sin that we have built up between God and ourselves. Yes, we do have immediate pressing problems of sin. And that sin must be dealt with immediately. Repentance is a beginning. But also, we probably have an ongoing lifestyle of sin. We probably have unknowingly built up a lifestyle of sin. One that we don't easily recognize because we've become accustomed to it. But it's there. It's there. Thankfully, God is in the business of complete reconciliation. Of restoring sinful and even reprobate lives back into a right relationship with Him. And He has begun that work through the death of Christ on the cross. He has the answer and it begins with Christ dying for our sins there on the cross. 2 Corinthians 5, 19. That is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself and not imputing their trespasses to them. Not holding them accountable, but solving their problem for them through the shed blood of Christ on the cross. Folks, Jesus truly has accomplished the first and most essential part of our reconciliation. And He wants to complete His work in us, to live within us, and to help us to make those serious changes in our lifestyles and in our habits. But even beyond that, even beyond that, He wants you and me to step on forward and then join Him in all the things that He's doing in other people's lives. We can't do that until we get that first part right with Him. But He wants us to step on forward and begin to help other people. Verse 18 of 2 Corinthians 5. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to Himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. You and I have the ministry of reconciliation right now. That is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself and not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. He gives us what to say to those people. Verse 20, Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. 
For He made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Folks, you and I can never do that first part, the saving of men's souls. Too often we try and it does not work. That work resides in the hands of Christ, in Christ alone. Our work, the part of the reconciliation that's assigned to us, is very often divided into two opportunities. First, just before Christ comes to a person, as the 70 went out, you and I have that first opportunity. We're to go out. And then, after Christ then does a work in them, then we are to immediately step in and follow up. These 70 disciples were sent out ahead of Jesus to prepare the way of His ministry of salvation to them. And you and I are to do that also. But then immediately, listen, immediately after they are saved, we are to help complete the reconciliation by discipling them in the words and in the ways of Christ. Do you, right now, have someone that you disciple? Do you have someone who's discipling you? One of my favorite people in my life, I think he spoke here, we said many years ago, Dr. Paul Cully. He said, you ought to be doing two things all the time. You ought to be being discipled and you ought to be discipling someone else. Are you, are you being discipled and are you discipling someone else? That's who you and I are supposed to be, folks. We're no longer to be that self-focused, self-centered, self-seeking person that we were in those days before we were reconciled to Christ. The moment that we were saved and reconciled to Christ, folks, everything changed. Everything changed at that moment. And he tells us that. Words that in 2 Corinthians 5 that lead up to the ones that I just read to you. This is verse 17 of 2 Corinthians 5. It says, Therefore, if any man or woman be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. Let me read that again. Because if you have Christ as your Savior, this has taken place with you. Therefore, if any man or woman be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. These are some of the most profound words in all of Scripture. Most of us don't realize the real and dangerous condition we live in each day when we're without Christ and without His salvation. And Jesus said that there on the cross. Some of the words that he said was, Forgive them, Father. They don't know what they're doing. They know not what they do. We don't realize what a perilous condition we are in when we're unsaved. And we might not say the words out loud, but the person who is unsaved, they're actually hostile to God. You and I, before we came to know Christ as our Savior, we were hostile to God. And again, we probably wouldn't use that word but the Lord does. Listen to this. Romans 8, verse 7. For the mind that is set on the flesh, that's unsaved person, for the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. Hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law, refuses to submit to Him. Indeed, it cannot, does not have the ability to submit to God's law. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So emphatic, folks, so emphatic. And then in Romans chapter 5, verse 10, For if while we were enemies, 
we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. And more than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. He has saved us and reconciled us. Again, I can't remember even those days that I was openly hostile to God. But he said to me that I was. Before I received Christ as my Savior, I was hostile. Filled with the ways and the behaviors of the world and the flesh. Self-centered. I still am, unfortunately. Too self-centered. But then our flesh was completely self-centered, self-absorbed, self-gratifying. Pleasing ourselves. Always pleasing ourselves, but never pleasing to God. But for some reason, listen. For some reason, and praise the Lord. For some reason known only to Him, God chose us and He drew us out of our wretched, broken condition and He saved us and He reconciled us to Himself through that shed blood of Christ there on the cross. And through His blessed reconcilement, we become a whole new creature. A whole new creature. So if you're saved right now, listen, if you're saved right now, you are no longer the same person that you were before you were saved. And you must not. Listen, you must not. You dare not continue in your old ways. You've been reconciled to God. As with this analogy of the bank customer that we gave a moment ago, you must not. I must not. We dare not keep on writing those bad checks that keep on bouncing and ruining our lives and our reputation. All of that lifestyle and behavior is in the past. If you are in Christ, that lifestyle is in the past. You are now a new creature. The old has passed away and the new has come. And again, what are we supposed to do as a new creature? You and I are supposed to do as these verses in 2 Corinthians 5 tell us to do. And I want to read them again because I want them to be written upon your minds. Verse 18 of 2 Corinthians 5. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. He has reconciled us and now he's given that ministry to us. That is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us Through our words, we implore you on Christ's behalf to be reconciled to God. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Those 70 disciples, they went out ahead of Jesus into that harvest field. In another place in the scriptures, Jesus tells us that the fields are white for harvest. In other words, when those 70 disciples went out, And as you and I go out, listen, as you and I go out, we're not the first to go out. God has sent forth His Holy Spirit into the hearts of men and women to prepare them to hear our message of reconciliation. So He, the Holy Spirit's already working in their hearts. And then also the Holy Spirit is working in the words of reconciliation that we will say to those people, that God will give us to say to those people, And the Holy Spirit will make their souls white for harvest, mature and ready to receive those words of Christ so that they can themselves have their moment of reconciliation. And very importantly, 
very importantly, listen, those 70 and you and I are not to be concerned about the responses that we will initially receive as we carry forward that message of the gospel. Have you ever been disappointed when you're trying to witness to someone and you see their eyes roll around? You and I are not to be concerned about their response. We need to give that message, then leave the rest to the Holy Spirit to work within their heart. I want to say that another way. Some people who hear the message will accept it, yes. But there are others, most of them, will refuse it. But that is not to be our concern. That's not to be your concern. That's a personal interaction that takes place between those people and the Holy Spirit. And we need to leave that part to God. We cannot be their Savior. We're simply delivering the message, that message of reconciliation. Now, before we close, one more thought. These 70 men, they most likely lived in some of those local villages and communities where they were visiting. Their part in this special mission that Jesus sent them to carry out was to simply go ahead of him and to, as John the Baptist did, prepare ye the way of the Lord. But I want to remind us again and again that salvation really is only the first step in a person's eternal relationship with Christ. There's so much more that's required. While some of those 70 men might be sent out again on other missionary journeys, most of them will probably remain in those local communities. And that's where the second part of their ministry needs to take place. They would need to revisit many of those same people that they led to salvation. And they'd need to begin to disciple them. Teaching them about all those deeper things of God. And very importantly, they would need to teach those people how to lead even other people to the Lord Jesus for salvation. Folks, once we have received Christ as our Savior and Lord, our relationship with Him and our service to Him is endless. It becomes endless. And it'll go on for an eternity. Praise the Lord for that. Let me close with these words that I've read so often lately. Matthew 28, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we confess We still have so much of the old life left in us that we should not have. And so we're not quick to respond and go out and be ambassadors for you, reconciling, giving people the words of reconciliation to bring them in salvation to you. Help us, Father. Help us. We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen.